This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey y'all, it's Crystal. And it's Samantha. And this is Serial Holic Sisters. True crime shit. So you might blow away while we're, (laughs) I may or may not blow away in the middle of this recording. It's fine. No, we're, we're just under tornado watches and it's severe weather. It's fine. It's a watch. It's not a warning yet. It's a watch at this point. Um, it is December and like 85 degrees. (laughs) So that's probably not a good sign. (laughs) I just kind of thought about that. I was just thinking it's just a tornado watch. No big deal. And then I did as soon as you said it's December, I was like, oh shit, it is. It's like yeah. two weeks before Christmas and we got tornado watches up in here. It's like 85 degrees here. It's like ridiculously hot and that's probably not a good sign, but it's fine. We're just going to carry on. So if anybody hears thunder, sorry about it. It's been, <laughs> it's been weirdly warm here too. Yeah. And, and we're in the Midwest, so it's usually pretty, pretty cold here and yeah, you guys like, usually have snow by now, don't you? Yeah, it was like 75 degrees yesterday. Right. I'm like, I wore, it was crazy because the mornings it's kind of chilly. Like it's pretty cold, um, like 30 degree mornings. Right. And so I go to work in my like sweatshirt yesterday. And by the time I'm off work, I was like sweating. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Well, I'm always hot. So I'm always I'm disgusting. I'm always just sweating. Um, <laughs> I'm literally just all day. Everybody at work is so annoyed with me. I'm always like, I'm hot. I'm so hot. Oh man. I mean, they keep it so cold in our, like where my office and stuff is. It's more like a cubicle. It's not an office, but like, it's a big office area, you know? Right. Um, but it's so cold. Like I've got a desk heater and then another heater under my desk. So like, sometimes I'll have both of them on. It's ridiculous. I'm like, freezing but I have a desk fan that is on 24 7 and I feel I like it a, doesn't do anything now <laughs> I have a desk fan because w- when it is summer it's it's still pretty even even when it's chilly in the office it's still pretty hot to me too so I get it right can you hear that I did hear that that's like a lot so you may die <laughs> no so I, <laughs> I just want you to know I love you <laughs> oh my god I love you too Anyways, that's going to suck if I really do. (laughs) Before you die, can we maybe get this case going? (laughs) Yeah, let's get it started. Let's do it. I mean, I'm kind of curious. At least just let me know who you're doing it over. (laughs) So so if I die, you can just like look it up later. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just like to read about it. It's no big deal. That's rude. So (laughs) I'm just just kidding. Now I'm going to draw out my intro for a long time and not tell you. Oh, don't do that to our listeners. I did struggle for a little bit because I could decide on who I wanted to do. So I went to like my trusty notepad and my phone and pulled up my cases to cover list. And I thought I had decided on one. And then that same day, my favorite podcast, Morbid, put out that episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's happened to me a couple times. Actually, when we're starting to do cases and it's my turn, yeah. like I'll start researching on one and then they they release one. And I'm like, well, I can't do it now. Right, right. I, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm like, copying them right and and I love listening to their versions of it too because they really are such great hosts so good they do such great research and they're just so I love them anyways they do just fangirling hey Ash and Elena I love you (laughs) anyways I was like shit I can't do that now that's (laughs) out of the question so every level that's gonna go for like way out in the future um nothing really else caught my on my list so I went to trusty google (laughs) and (laughs) Somehow I stumbled upon this gym. So settle in and get all cozy. And I'm going to tell you all about the eyeball killer. Wait, what? <laughs> you heard me. He was known as the eyeball killer and the Dallas Ripper, I think, or Dallas Slasher. 
I feel like that should be a case that I would do, but that sounds interesting. <laughs> yes, right. So let's the eyeball killer. Get into it. I'm excited. So Charles Albright was born August 10th, 1933 in Amarillo, Texas. He was given up at birth. And when he was three weeks old, he was adopted from an orphanage by Fred and Dale Albright. Okay. Okay. So he, he had a really quick <laughs> adoption. Gotcha. <laughs> he did. He did. Um, the couple lived in a middle-class suburb. Fred was a grocer and Dale was a former school teacher turned stay-at-home mom just for Charles. She, he was the only child. He had no siblings growing up. So she like retired and was like, okay, I'm going to focus on this baby. Oh, had so some- like they had no kids on their own. They just went and adopted him. No, they just went and adopted Charles. And then they never had any kids after or didn't adopt any other Aww. ones. Dell had some issues. She was the dominant parent of the two. She was in control. She was often described as strict and overbearing. There's nothing saying that she physically abused Charles, but she was definitely abusive in other ways. Like emotionally? Oh, for sure. Um, and also like when he was about a year old, he chewed on her tape measure because he was okay, a baby. Yeah, that's a baby. He was they, a baby. Chew every, they chew on everything. <laughs> exactly. They literally put it's, everything in their mouths. It's literally like having a puppy. Yes. <laughs> Babies are puppies. Her response to him chewing on her tape measure was to lock him in a room with the lights off and make him just sit in the dark by himself. He's a baby. Yes. So clearly we know why she didn't have children besides this right. one. Because she, she's a fucking psycho. <laughs> Got so it. Okay. If you have a baby and you don't want them to put their shit in your mouth, then don't fucking leave it laying around. How do you get your tape measure? <laughs> <laughs> For real. <laughs> All your shit's going to be covered in drool now. Sorry about it. If he didn't want to take a nap because all oh, small God. children hate naps. Not all small children. Most small children. Most. Unless you're my children. Because I just Your children like naps. naps? Harlow still takes naps and she's five. Like she loves naps or? She'll even come up to us sometimes at like night, like before bed. And she's like, can I just go to bed now? I'm like, girl, yes, take me with you. <laughs> That's like, what <laughs> okay, well, that is like a, a freak fluke because most kids like hate naps. <laughs> She's legitimately a small version of myself, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. She really is. Like, you know how much I loved my sleep. Yes, that's true. Well, most kids don't like naps, and then they grow up and they become us, and they wish that somebody would let them take a nap. The fuck is that? That was my my TV just turned on by itself. Oh, cool! It's a ghost. Hang on, I think my dog is laying on the remote. Give me a second. Okay. I got it. I got the remote away from him. Sorry. Continue. Oh my God. I thought when it came on, I saw it come on, but I thought when it came on, it was not going to make any noise. So I was just like ignoring it. And then all of a sudden it was dun, 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 dun. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> going to refill this while I'm already at a messed up stage. <laughs> what are you, what are you drinking? It's the holiday season. So I'm drinking holiday Trulies. This one is called Spice Spice Baby. It's apple spice. So when he didn't want to take a nap, she would tie him to the bed until he went to sleep. A one-year-old baby? Or just when he was like a toddler or a small kid. Um, as a young boy, Charles loved to try to escape the yard. So I mean, I would too. <laughs> they had like a wooden fence around their entire yard, not like a tall fence that you can't see through or whatever. Basically like a the size of like, like a those, white picket fence. I was about to say like those little deal. white picket fence. Right. So yeah. they had the fence all the way around the yard. When he was too small to reach the latch on the gate to let himself out, he would charm neighbors that were passing by into reaching over the fence and like lifting him out. First of all, what kind of neighbors would just let their, this tiny <laughs> child? It sounds like this is just an awful, awful neighborhood and an awful family. They would just, they'd just be like, hey, I can't open the door. Can you let me out? And they're like, sure. And reach over and lift him up and set him on the other side. And so I'm just like, and what right if I'm like walking down the road and I'm passing a house and this person in this tiny itty bitty like little kid says could you please could you get the door for me could you please get the latch I'd be why like, does he have an accent now I don't know <laughs> <laughs> but if he, if he asked that I would just be like where's your parents <laughs> my kids even the age that they're at like I don't if they're going outside to play, even if it's in the yard, I'm outside with them. There's right. too many yeah. crazy well, this people. Was the 30s. And for this God's the... sakes, we're doing a true crime podcast. Right. So this was the 30s. So 
it wasn't quite like that. <laughs> Little kids would be like, can you let me out of the yard? And they're like, yeah, I'm sure you've got to go to work or something like that. Let me help you. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh, are you just going to go down the road to the grocery store and get your parents groceries? Get okay. your parents some cigarettes. That's fine. A little bit of whiskey. This upset Dell so much that she began tying him to the porch whenever he went outside so that he what couldn't like fuck? get out of the yard. She just like fucking tied him everywhere. Also, what kind of neighbors would pass by and see this child tied up and not do anything about it? Like, if you don't want him to get out of the yard, then just like go out there and watch him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Let me just tie you up right here. She's like, I'll fix neighbor- this. Excuse me. That kid is tied up. Yeah, I know. He likes to get out of the yard. We're asking. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to get him back in once he gets out of the yard. Jesus. She also, another fun fact about her, she would allow Charles to only drink goat's milk from goats that they had in their own backyard because she believed that goat's milk was healthier than cow's milk. And also she knew where that was coming from. She was obsessed with cleanliness and she thought that dog feces contained the polio virus. So to teach him a lesson about staying away from dog poop, she conducted her own scared straight type field trip. She took Charles to the polio ward of the hospital where she made him stare at all of the polio patients that were in the iron lungs and told him that if he didn't like do what she said and stay away from dog poo, then he would stay in one of those for the rest of his life. What the actual fuck? Yeah. Like Dell had some issues. Yeah. <laughs> issues. <laughs> she, I- I'm so glad there's a clearance thing for adoption agencies now. <laughs> kind of background check or something would be nice i'm over here like that was a quick adoption like they just like walked in and said i want that baby and they're like here you go sounds like (laughs) it like that's what it sounds like (laughs) so in an effort to keep him clean she would often have charles change his clothes sometimes up to five times a day and then speaking of his clothes whenever his aunt would come over for a visit Dell would dress him in dresses and make him play with dolls Dell and fred bought charles a gun at a very young age and they taught him how to properly handle it and shoot and everything. They didn't just be like, here's a gun and just like throw it no, at him. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm like over here shocked that they didn't do that. Because... Right, right. So trigger warning here for animal cruelty. Oh, no. He would go around the neighborhood and shoot small animals like birds and squirrels and rabbits. So that's what he did with his gun. He'd just go, I yeah. I mean, I guess thinking about it now yeah you wouldn't want your kid to just go walk around and shoot birds and squirrels and stuff but like in 1930 right that just sounds like a boy thing yeah Um, I mean when you give your kids like a bb gun or something what do you think they're especially back then first thing they're gonna do is go try to shoot some birds or something like that for sure right so I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily think of that as like a Oh my God, he's definitely going to grow up to be a serial killer. Right, right. Now he's going around shooting like cats and dogs for sure. Right. Not saying that you should go and shoot birds and squirrels or anything like the hell of it. This would lead to an odd hobby for a young boy to get into that he got like super into. So at 11 years old, Dell enrolled Charles into a mail order course at the Northwestern School of Taxidermy. Oh my gosh, is it? Okay. Yeah, so he got really into taxidermy, super into it. And Dell was always right by his side as he would like go to work. She would show him how to use the tools properly. She would show him how to use a knife to skin the animals and how to use a scalpel to remove the eyes. Charles would often go by a nearby taxidermy shop and stare at the fake glass eyes that they had for sale. And he would like ask her, can he please get these for his animals? But Dell was like super frugal and she wasn't about to spend that kind of money on some fake ass eyes. So she gave him some buttons to sew on in place of the eyes, which is like kind of horrifying to picture. That's some like straight Coraline shit right there. I literally already know where this case is going just from the eyes. Oh my effing God. (laughs) So this is like, I don't know. I I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a Criminal Minds episode. I did see while I was researching that there was a Criminal Minds episode that was loosely based on this. Okay, so I was going to say it had to have I been haven't seen off- the episode, but I did see that. It was- had to have been based off of a case like this because it's literally like yeah. trying to find the perfect glass eyes. So they try to find the perfect eyes. Oh, that's so- creepy as shit. 
Yes. And he was a taxidermist. The criminal, criminal minds guy was a taxidermist. That was but a hard sentence for you to get out. <laughs> taxidermist. Now, as as Charles got older, Dell had no problem sharing way too much information with her young son. So she didn't want him to grow up and be a bad dude or like a womanizer or sexually greedy, like she told him Fred was, her husband. Ew. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Why would you tell his your child that either? His, but okay. his dad. Yeah. She told her, him, her son that his dad was sexually greedy. she also told him all about how his father had a sexually aggressive nature oh my god (laughs) and would like if he saw her like standing around and nothing but her undergarments like when she's getting ready to get dressed he would just like grab her which like okay (laughs) don't tell your children that are you trying to scar your children for life she said that she told him all of this for his own good because she wanted him to respect women especially when it came to sex there's another way to teach your children that. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's another way. <laughs> I, I promise. I feel like she should have gone to like many parenting classes <laughs> before she ever adopted a child. <laughs> yeah. So as Charles got older, Dell would even accompany him whenever he would take a girl out on a date because she wanted to make sure he was acting appropriately. What the actual fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine going on a date with this cute boy with and his your mother? Mom? <laughs> Listen, I'm just going to remind my children that at least I'm not this woman. <laughs> yes, yeah, so night. a date with him and his mother. That, that's the girls. That's what they got. She would even call the girl's parents just to assure them that her son was a good boy and wouldn't be trying any funny business with their daughters and that she would be there to chaperone the entire time. And if I was the girl's parents, I'd be like, I'm sorry, she's not going to be going. Right. <laughs> she also would not allow anybody else to chaperone but her, like not even the girl's parents. Yeah. I'd be like, sorry, my daughter's too young. Bye. Right. <laughs> Your daughter's 30. Yep. Too young. <laughs> yep, too young for all this. All this crazy. We're not into that. Now, probably because she was a school teacher, Dell was very interested in accelerating Charles's education. She would tutor him every day after school. He was a good student and excelled at basically everything he did. He learned to speak three languages. He played piano because she made him practice for like 30 minutes a day before school every day. So he spoke three languages, played piano, was a decent painter, and was very athletic and loved playing football and baseball. So in all in all, he was just really talented. Yes, like everything he tried to do, he excelled at. So he was me. No, I'm just oh, kidding. Sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Have you seen your drawings though? Like the they're so bad. They're so bad. <laughs> so he ended up skipping two grades and graduated high school at the age of 15. Dell was so invested in his schooling that she continuously overlooked some things that as a mother she probably should have paid a little attention to. Which I'm so shocked about because she literally was like obsessed with her child. So for example, Charles enjoyed pushing boundaries and often found himself in trouble with the law. He was a known petty thief and at the age of 13 was convicted of aggravated assault. How do you, how do you miss that? (laughs) Right. So Dell was like, these are small crimes. They're like not as important as schooling. So we're just, but I'm going to totally, I'm still going to go to all your dates, but I'm going to Right, because, yes, girl, she cried. So when he graduated at 15, she was like, see, it's fine, y'all. Like, he graduated, like, look how smart he is. It's fine. These little crimes are fine. Another major life event happened when he was 15. Charles had his first sexual encounter with a sex worker. So it was not on one of his dates with his mother. Yeah, he just, like, went out on his own. and He got out of the yard again. <laughs> he got out of the yard and found a sex worker who also gave him crabs. So. Oh, God. So you would think that one from mama, (laughs) right? You would think after this being his experience, he would kind of stay away from sex workers in the future, but you'll see that will not be the case. So at the age of 17, he was caught with $380 cash that he had stolen from a cash register, along with two handguns and a rifle. The police were like, yeah, you can't do that. And he ended up spending six months in jail. And at the time of his sentencing, like he had to go to like this little trial thing with the judge and everything. At the time of his sentencing, Dell asked a judge to let her take his place in jail. Good. 
god and the judge was like yeah no like (laughs) that's not how that works lady (laughs) not not how that works so he got a two-year sentence for that but he only served six months and got it out on good behavior so after serving six months of his two-year sentence charles enrolled at arkansas state teachers college majoring in pre-med he was an active student he joined tons of clubs and he was excelling in the courses that he liked despite the fact that he would rarely study. He especially excelled in his human anatomy class, and he talked about going to medical school and becoming a surgeon. Now, during this time, he also took on the role of a class clown and was described as kind of like an all-American, like frat boy type and like a prankster. One time he broke into the home ec class and he stole a bunch of food from the fridge and cooked a steak dinner for all of his friends. They're like, oh, that's one of Charlie's great pranks. You know, he stole all the steaks and made a dinner. I mean, I'll I'll go for that. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm not turning down that. Another time he broke into a physics professor's office in the middle of the day and stole the, quote, unstealable physics test. He picked the lock on the cabinet. He stole the test. He made a copy of it and he returned it before anyone knew it was missing. So then he had like the key and all the stuff for the test. But then he had like some fucking weird ass practical jokes. I'm using air bunnies because I don't know what this is. So... <laughs> Like some were fucking weird. For example, one time, one of his teammates on the football team broke up with his girlfriend. So he breaks up with his girlfriend. He like throws out all the photos of her and starts dating another girl not long after. Okay. Charles decided it would be hysterical to gather up a bunch of these pictures that he had thrown out of the ex-girlfriend, cut her eyes out in every picture, and then glue her eyes over the eyes on the picture of his new girlfriend. What the, what? yeah 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 that's not a weird prank that's a creepy that's a fucking he also put a bunch of just like her eyes on his friend's ceiling like above his bed and he like put them at the urinal in the bathroom just like all over the place just her eyes and they were like oh that charles what a prankster i would have been that girl in the background that was like yeah he's definitely a serial killer (laughs) like for sure (laughs) I'd be like, there's something wrong with him. I'm calling the police. <laughs> it's not okay. It's not okay. I'm calling the police right this instant. There, yes, there's some eyes over the urinal looking at me. <laughs> so while in college, he met a girl named Betty Nestor, and the two began dating. Somehow, because he was so charming, remember him charming these neighbors, you know, he was so charming. He somehow managed to talk her into giving him the keys to the entire campus which he then used to break into school files and like steal tests or like change his grades if he didn't do well on a test. And he also used those keys to break in and steal a ton of equipment from the school. So he was caught. They were like, you can't take that. No, this is not yours. You can't take this equipment. He was caught and expelled from school, but no criminal charges were pressed against him. They were just like, get out of here. So like, how does she have the keys to the school? (laughs) I'm guessing she had some kind of job. Like she was doing some kind of job, like where she had access to that i don't know but she had the keys she gave him him. he stole some shit they kicked him out so now how is he going to get a good job like he's got he's out of school he's got no degree no worries no worries he just um forged himself some credentials from the arkansas state teachers college giving himself a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree how the fuck okay yeah, just so then when you go and get a job and you go to do this stuff and you don't know how to do it and you kill people. <laughs> just forge him. Well, he didn't he didn't do like a medical degree or anything like that. Oh, okay, because that's where he was going to college. He was pre med, yeah, but he wasn't like yeah. He just like gave himself a couple degrees. It's fine. After okay. dating yeah, after dating for about two years, Charles and Betty got married and had a daughter. Betty became a teacher and Charles had no trouble finding a job with his fancy credentials he had now he landed a job as a high school teacher and he kept that job for about two years until it was discovered that he was a lying liar and had forged his credentials how do you how did you not know for two years do you not check that shit before (laughs) how do you not know for two years that you hired somebody that doesn't actually have a degree right because he was just like here's my degree and they were like cool Come on in. And then they were like, you don't have a teaching degree, you silly goose. Silly goose. So he was promptly fired and given a year's probation for fraud. Um, He then moved back. He moved with his family back to Dallas, closer to his parents. 
During this time, he was not the best at keeping a job. He had the most random ass jobs. He was a carpenter for a while, and then he was an illustrator in a patent office, a bullfighter, a designer in a company that built airplanes, and a hairstylist. Wait, what? (laughs) You heard me. (laughs) All of these jobs are so fucking right. A hairstylist, too? How did he do that? I guess he just forged some um, cosmetology school papers. Oh, yeah. I totally went to cosmetology school. (laughs) You want a bowl cut? I got you. (laughs) Girl, I got you. Oh my God. He once told a friend that he was an accomplished artist. So his friend paid him $250 to paint a portrait of his wife. Albright worked on this painting for weeks, telling his friend that it would be worth the wait, like he was working on a special feature that needed extra attention. And eventually the friend got tired of waiting and just dropped by one day to see how the painting was coming along. Everything was finished on the painting except for the eyes. It was like this full on, actually really good painting of this girl, like looked just like her, but it was just like, holes where the eyes were it was just Ew. yeah yeah so while definitely he, that criminal minds case <laughs> <laughs> you're like I have already seen this <laughs> like seriously the guy couldn't get the eyes right while he jumped from job to job Albright kept up his fraudulent ways also I noticed by the way everybody that's going to get confused halfway through the notes I stopped saying Charles and started saying Albright <laughs> so I don't know why <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before he was arrested again for forging cashier's checks, but again was only given probation. Like he keeps just doing all this stuff and they're just like, probation, probation. <laughs> probation. You're a bull rider. No, you're not. Probation. You're a hairstylist. <laughs> no, you're not. Probation. Probably. We see an awful bull cut. Probation. <laughs> I mean, anybody that gives anybody a bull cut should get probation, but yes. So that's like the problem with these cases. These guys will start off with these petty crimes and only get a slap on the wrist. And then they'll move on to bigger and bigger crimes because they only get the slap on the wrist. And they're like, well, I'm not going to get caught. In 1965, Betty finally got tired of shit and they separated. I was going to say, how come she's like still sticking around? Right. Even though she knows that he's forged all this shit. Well, he was charming. And I think she didn't know about that stuff for a while. And then not know that your husband is a hairdresser bull rider. (laughs) Well, I'm saying I don't think she knew about him like doing the... The like, fraudulent how checks. Not, how are you not questioning your husband at all these random jobs? But didn't you get kicked out of college? <laughs> right. First of all, didn't you get kicked out of college? Like, what's happening? But no, I think he would just go from job to job and she would get kind of tired of that. And she, I don't think she knew in the beginning, like, all the fraud, like, all the fraudulent checks he was forging and all this stuff. That, like, I think it took her a while to figure it out. So eventually figured it out. She got tired of it. They separated and they would later get divorced, but their divorce wasn't finalized until 1974. So that was like almost 10 years after they separated. Jeez. His marriage ended, but his criminal activity, criminal activities definitely did not. That was really hard. He was caught stealing hundreds of dollars of merchandise from a hardware store. So for this, he received a two-year prison sentence, but of course he only served about six months and he was released because that's what happens. Throughout the years, Albright kept up with his social life and maintained a reputation as a charming and upstanding member in the community. He was a member of the local softball team and was active in the local Catholic church he attended. And when he was 48 years old, his mom, Del, passed away. Oh, no. She Yes, she passed away. He was very upset about it. He did, soon after she passed away, he did go search for his birth mother and he actually found her. Now, growing up, Dell had told Albright the story about how his birth mother was a brilliant law student who got together with a classmate and they ended up getting secretly married and then getting pregnant. But since she was so young and had such a bright future, her father insisted that she get an annulment and give the baby up for adoption. Otherwise, he would like cut her off. When he met her, he found out that she had never been a law student. And Albright later told people that his birth mother was a prostitute, but there was no, there's like no evidence of this. Everyone thinks he just made that up. Now, I don't know if it's a coincidence or what, but the first known violent act that Albright committed was when he was 48, the same year, not long after Dell died. So I don't know if he had some kind of like... Like it triggered him? Yeah. While taking part in the church choir, he met the family of a little girl. Now, he took a special interest in this family, doing weird things. I don't know what it is with him and steak. So he bought this family a big box of steak. He's just like, 
you're good people. He just, like, Here, here's some steak. <laughs> yeah. He's like he an just, excuse to eat like steak. Really like steak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one time he dressed up like Santa Claus and went over to their house and like. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say one time he dressed up like steak. <laughs> <laughs> he just really likes steak. One time he dressed up like steak. No. <laughs> I didn't transition that well. He dressed up like Santa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and went to this family's house and gave that young girl and her siblings presents. He was like, oh Santa, here's present. <laughs> gave that young girl and her steak. siblings. <laughs> it was steak. The presents was steak. <laughs> So one night he showed his dark side and he molested the girl. Oh no. Yeah. That got real serious real fast. The family and the church, they like tried to keep the incident quiet because she was so young. They just like didn't want it out there and people like, you know, coming at her and asking all these questions and stuff. Okay. So, I understand like coming at her because she's so young. Right. I really hate when I hear like families want to keep it quiet screaming at the top of your lungs like okay. come on yeah this is important it's just like the I don't know if you've been following the Duggar case slightly oh my gosh I'm so glad he's guilty I don't care what anybody says if anybody comes at me and says the complete opposite he deserves to rot period um but it's just the whole his parents kept it quiet when he mm-hmm. molested his little his sisters that's awful they kept it quiet and I'm that's just awful. like as a parent you would not want to keep that quiet screaming at the top of your lungs you should be telling the other people so that they can steer clear of this person right right they did go to like authorities and stuff they didn't keep it quiet like from everybody which is great but I mean I'm I'm all about advocating spread for the job. word yes spread the word let everybody know this guy's fucking garbage yes they, so they were trying to keep it quiet. Like they, they went to the authorities, whatever, but they didn't want to like out in the community. Right. Albright went to a judge and confessed to knowingly and intentionally engaging in deviant sexual intercourse with a girl under the age of 14. He later said that he was innocent. And the only reason he confessed to this was because it would make everything easier and avoid a hassle. Like, bitch, no. First of all, make what easier? It would just make everything easier. So since he pled guilty, he was only sentenced to 10 years probation and didn't serve any jail time. I'm so sick and tired of this probation shit. Yeah. Once you hit probation so many times, bruh, sounds like he needs to do some time. More than six months, for (laughs) sure. So he just went on with his life like nothing ever happened. The whole incident was kept very quiet, never made headlines. And the few people that did hear about these charges somehow refused to believe that he was capable of such a crime because he was just such an upstanding guy in the community whatever right during the next few years albright briefly dated a woman named mary white and then he he dated a woman named dixie austin dixie moved in with him and then ended up supporting him and paying all of the household expenses because he didn't keep jobs for very long at all he also began frequently visiting local sex workers in the area during this time so She's just like paying all the shit and he's just going out to these sex workers. Cool, cool, cool. He became pretty well known among the sex workers in the area and was known to give them gifts and pay them very well. Now, most of the gifts that he'd given were stolen because remember he was a petty thief in his younger days. Mm -hmm. So he'd just like steal shit and give it away. And then his father, Fred, had passed away and left him about $100,000 along with the home that he and Dell had owned and a rental property that they had. What? Yeah. So he was rich because back then that's a lot of money. Yes. So if I was Dixie, I'd be hella pissed that I'm supporting your ass. And <laughs> then you got a hundred thousand dollars in the bank. <laughs> that's what I was about to say. <laughs> so Albright was again, super charming. So she would always just accept his excuses as to like why he wasn't working. And she just like went on taking care of him. And he didn't have the inheritance very long because he like blew right through that money super quick. So Dixie continued to support him with the money she made from her job at a gift shop. So she's supporting them, which does not make that much money. So one time she even had to take out a loan to like pay bills 
and this bitch is just like yeah, he's not worth it <laughs> okay girl girl worth it. <laughs> go on go live your life <laughs> so the only air quote steady job that he had at this point was an early morning paper route because he's a child i don't know <laughs> that's what i was saying oh my god for, because we actually do there's a paper route here i'm what sure there say? is because you live in fucking stars hollow or some shit <laughs> say, we live in such a small town in <laughs> fact they are kids that are hired they get like they get paid like every couple weeks or whatever which it's a really good start to learn responsibility, responsibility yeah like that's why they hire the the kids that do the right. paper route. I think it's great. In fact, Gunner even asked me before. He's like, "Can I do the paper route?" And I was like, oh. "I would totally let you do that, except you're not responsible enough." <laughs> he's really not, though. Not yet. He's not. It's, it's, <laughs> I love him to death. He just doesn't, you know, how he is. I totally see him like delivering like three papers and then like seeing something shiny. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I love my kid to death, but he he does struggle with ADD really really bad. So <laughs> you would be, I would definitely, it would be a uh, mom being on the paper route nonstop. Just oh my god, <laughs> so he's not doing that. But yeah. I just think it's great hearing that. But hearing you tell me that this grown ass man yeah. <laughs> has a fucking paper route. He had, he had an early morning paper route, and it's speculated that the only reason that he had that and kept it and for so long was so that he could frequently visit the sex workers without Dixie becoming suspicious. Ugh. Makes you rethink paper routes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so it was December, 1990, five years after Albright confessed to being a child molester when the first victim of the eyeball killer was found. So December 13th, 1990, in the 8,800 block of Beckley View in the Oak Cliff neighborhood in Dallas, Texas, so neighborhood kids are out and they find the body of 33-year-old Mary Lou Pratt. When they stumbled upon the body, they said that first they thought it was like a mannequin. She was a known sex worker that often worked that area. She was found lying face up, nearly naked, wearing only a t-shirt. Her face and body were badly bruised and had clearly taken a beating before a 44 caliber bullet to the back of the head was inflicted. It was obvious to police that she had been killed in a different location and then placed in this location out in the open like later. There was very little forensic evidence to help police figure this out. There was like no witnesses to the murder or the body dump, no weapon left at the scene, no fingerprints, no motive. Police were just like, okay. And since since she was moved, there was no other evidence. Right. So police were like, okay, this sucks, but sex work is like a dangerous job. This is a routine risk in this field of work right but once they got word from the medical examiner performing the autopsy they were like okay this is not routine so dr elizabeth peacock performed the autopsy and was doing like routine autopsy shit you know she's like making notes on everything the tattoo on her chest the needle marks on her arm the gunshot wound to the head well then she opened mary lou's eyes to make note of the eye color and was shocked to discover that there were no eyeballs So no one had noticed this. Criminal Minds episode. Yeah. Nobody had noticed this before, like at the crime scene or anything, because her eyes were closed and the eyes had been cut out and removed so carefully that the upper and lower eyelids were left completely intact and like undisturbed. Criminal motherfucking minds episode. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a routine operation that is taught to like medical students or anything like that, because like why you got to remove some of these eyeballs. Well, the dude in the in the episode i'm sorry i'm going back to this the dude in the episode <laughs> used like a melon ball scooper or something like that and vomited but, but he like sharpened one side oh my god and like it literally when he would go in it would like scoop it out i mean that makes sense but that's a lot <laughs> i'm g- gonna have to name this episode something about criminal minds by the way i'm sorry i'm sorry okay the person that did this would have had to know how to flip a knife this is gonna get gross for a second guys sorry this is like a samantha case they would have to know how to slip a knife around the eye making sure not to injure the skin they would have had to ball scooper (laughs) they would have had they would have then had to have known how to cut the six major muscles that hold each eye in the socket and the optical nerve sharpen melon ball scooper (laughs) 
<laughs> so this was done with, in such a precise fashion that when the eyes were shut, it was impossible to tell if they were missing. On February 10th, 1991, another victim of the eyeball killer was found. Susan Beth Peterson was another known sex worker that police were familiar with. She was found on the same road that Mary Lou Pratt's body was found just over a year before that. But Susan's body was found just outside of the city limits, meaning it was a different jurisdiction. Her shirt was raised to expose her breasts. She had been shot three times in the top of her head, in her left breast, and point blank in the back of the head. Once in the autopsy room, it was discovered that her eyeballs had been surgically removed. So now they know they have a repeat killer. Now, this part's really sucky. The whole thing is obviously really sucky, but get this. Two days before Peterson's murder, she had told a patrol officer that she might know who Mary Lou Pratt's killer was, but she didn't give any real information at the time. She was basically like, I think I know who did it. I'm going to look into it and try to get more info. And then she was killed. Oh, no. Right. And then she's found dead. Yes. So any information she may have had was gone with her. But police did think that most likely the killer lived or worked in the area and wasn't just like a stranger passing through because it had been almost a year since the first one. March 19th, 1991, a third victim was found. 45-year-old sex worker Shirley Williams was found leaned against a tree in front of an elementary school. Yeah. That's awful that they moved her in front of a fucking elementary school. Mm-hmm. She was naked and had facial bruising and a broken nose probably from being punched, they speculated. She had been shot through the top of her head and in the face. Now, a few things were different about this crime scene. Uh, one difference was that a red condom was found next to the body. Ew. So, yeah, so this was new. There were definitely no condoms found at either of the other crime scenes. The other difference was the eyes. As soon as the medical examiner got to the scene, they pulled back Shirley's eyelids because they were like, oh shit, is this another one of those? eyeball killings they did see that her eyeballs had been cut from the sockets but unlike the previous two victims this procedure had been done much messier than before you think it was a copycat either that or so this time the killer slashed the skin around the victim's eyes and left what appeared to be the broken tip of an exacto knife in the eye socket so it's speculated that either it was a copycat or he got caught doing he, it. He was rushed, and that's why he was so sloppy. Like, something happened, and he was rushing. After doing a background check and talking to friends, police learned that Williams had been out with friends the night before her death. She had apparently told her daughter that she would be home that night. It was raining when she left to head home, so she put on a yellow rain jacket and gotten into a car with a man, and that was the last anybody had seen of her. Like, they didn't know the man. So police decided that they should probably start interviewing local sex workers to see if they had seen or heard anything around that could be helpful, you know, since this seems to be the victims in all of these cases. They were looking for any suspicious incidents or violent customers that the girls might have encountered in the months around the murders. They came across a woman named Brenda White. Now, Brenda told police that she had recently escaped a violent John. She said that an older man with salt and pepper hair who drove either a green or brown station wagon in South Dallas, near where Mary Lou Pratt had been found, had picked her up. He wanted to take her somewhere that she was unfamiliar with to have sex, but she resisted because, like, that's her rule. She doesn't leave familiar territory. Like, that's too risky, especially with all the killings that have been going on. So when she resisted, he suddenly became very angry and violent to the point that she felt no choice but to mace him. I'm like, get it, girl. When he didn't stop driving after she maced him, she like jumped from the moving vehicle to escape and oh ran God. away. Yeah. So police got a few other tips from a few other different sex workers, including the fact that they knew of a man that Mary Lou had been acquainted with that had a weird obsession with knives and eyes. So another yeah, woman. Yeah, you're going to have to say something about that. <laughs> yeah, you're going to want to, you're going to want to mention that. So another woman named Veronica Rodriguez told officers that she had had a near-death experience when they asked her about a nasty gash that she had in her forehead one night. They, like, walk up and they're like, What hey, happened there? Hey, hey, sis, what happened? You got a big old gash in your head. And she also had what looked like a thin knife cut across her neck. Rodriguez was a well-known sex worker among police officers in the area. She was only 26 years old but had had a rough life so far. She had been arrested multiple times for prostitution, including one time when she was nine months pregnant. 
Oh, God. Yeah, she she had a rough life. She told officers she had been picked up by a man who then proceeded to rape and tried to kill her. She told police that she had escaped and ran to a nearby house. And the man at the house she ran to just happened to be somebody that she knew. His name was Axton Schindler, also known as Speedy. Spelled S-P-E-E-D-E. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Speedy. And that was his nickname because he talked so fast. So at first, police were like, okay, that's just another crazy ass story Veronica's telling us because she's apparently always telling them crazy stories. Two days later, they saw her sitting with a man in the cab of a semi. As one of the officers escorted Veronica to the squad car, another went to the other side of the truck to speak with the man. He gave them his driver's license and it showed that he was Axton Schindler, the man that Veronica had said had saved her from the killer. After running his name through the system, Speedy came up clean, aside from a few traffic tickets. So meanwhile, Veronica is like shouting at them. She's like, don't arrest him. Like, he's the man that saved me. He's a good guy. Like, So officers weren't listening to her because they were too busy realizing that this guy's license was not in South Dallas, where Veronica had said, like his address on the license was not where she had said she was when she ran to the nearby house. Right. His address was in an Oak Cliff neighborhood. And the address on this license was 1035 El Dorado. So when they looked into this address, they discovered that it was not in Axon's name, but it was the address for Fred Albright. It turns out that old Speedy had been renting Albright's rental property, but Speedy didn't really trust the government. So to keep the government out of his business, which I'm sure they were all up into, he listed his address as Charles's address instead of putting the property that he was renting and living at. Okay. Yeah. It's all real weird. So investigators didn't know who Charles was. They're like, who's Charles? So they had Fred's name, his stepdad. Well, his adopted dad, not stepdad. Right. They had Fred's name, who they could see was deceased, but they didn't know where to go from there. A deputy constable that was on duty at the time just happened to say, maybe this has something to do with Charles Albright. Whatever he saw, Fred Albright's name. He's like, well, maybe that's got something to do with Charles Albright. It turned out that that deputy had been in the office several weeks before and had gotten an anonymous phone call from a woman. And the woman said that she had been friends with Mary Lou Pratt and that Pratt had met a man that she dated briefly that the police should look into. So she said the man seemed nice enough, but he had an odd love for eyes. She also mentioned that the man kept a large amount of X-Acto blades in his attic. The deputy asked for the man's name and the caller said Charles Albright before hanging up. So... If any other deputy had been at the office that day, the link to Albright may not have been made because they just had crazy, right? So after digging into Charles's background, they realized he was Fred's son and he had inherited this residence that was on Speedy's license. And they also noted all of the theft and forgery charges and the charge for child molestation that was on his record. So like, okay, I mean, this looks, this looks promising as a criminal type person. This looks suspicious. Okay, super suspicious. So they printed off his mugshot and they decided to call in Brenda White and Veronica Rodriguez to see if they would be able to identify him in like a lineup of various mugshots. When they confronted Brenda, that's the one that maced him and jumped out of the car, she immediately pointed to Albright's picture and said he was the man who attacked her. A little while later, they showed Rodriguez the same lineup. And when she got to the third picture, which was Albright's, she began trembling and then refused to identify anyone. They were like, okay, you were good to try to name your attacker right before you saw this man's picture. That's unsettling. So they're like, okay, look, this is super easy. This man killed three of your friends and could strike again if we don't get him off the streets. So if you see the guy that attacked you, we'll get him and we'll put him in jail and make sure that he can't hurt you or anyone else again. So slowly after they said that, slowly Rodriguez reached for Albright's photo, turned it over and then signed her name on the back of it. At 2.30 in the morning, On March 22nd, 1991, just three days after the body of Shirley Williams was found, police raided the home of Charles Albright. Albright was handcuffed and led away, never saying a word. Dixie Austin, who was still living with him and supporting him at the time, stared stunned as police led her boyfriend away, having no clue what he had done. They searched the house and they came up with some super suspicious items, such as a box of X-Acto knives, at least a dozen true crime books, copy of Grey's Anatomy nothing super substantial people have like I have true crime books I have medical books whatever I know me me too (laughs) but I mean it just 
does look suspicious with the whole thing going on. They did find a few rifles and a 44 caliber gun hidden behind a compartment in his hand-built fireplace mantle, but it didn't come up as a match for the murder weapon. The missing eyeballs of the victim also, like, they have never been found. Nobody knows what happened to those. Dixie provided alibis for Charles for the night of each murder, claiming he was at home with her every night. As the trial day got closer, Veronica Rodriguez suddenly decided that she would testify as a witness for the defense, not the prosecution. Wait, why? Yep. She suddenly was not going to testify against him. She completely flipped it around. She was suddenly claiming that she had never been around Albright and that the police had coerced her into picking his mugshot from the lineup. So the prosecution decided they were going to go a different route for this case. For the first time in its history, the DA's office was going for a murder conviction based solely on controversial hair evidence. The city's forensic lab reported that hairs had been found on the bodies of the victims were similar to hair samples taken from Albright's head and pubic region after the arrest. But like DNA forensic testing was not all that great that time. It was not at its peak, especially not hair evidence. And as evidence goes, hairs are not as conclusive as like fingerprints. It's impossible to tell how many other gray-haired men's hair might have looked similar to Albright's, like, under a microscope. Right. But the lab continued to run tests. Lab technicians said that hairs found on the blankets in the back of Albright's pickup truck were similar to hair samples from the first two victims. And hairs that had been found in Albright's vacuum cleaner at his home had matched the hair from Shirley Williams, the third victim. So, I mean, they don't have any, like, real, real evidence on him. Correct. Albright's defense attorney tried to convince the jury that this whole case was based on flimsy circumstantial evidence, which, like, yeah, evidence. I was, I I turned into Sean Connery. (laughs) (laughs) I was was like, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I heard it as I said it. Circumstantial evidence. They speculated that the real killer was Speedy, who just happened to not be there for the trial, like didn't show up. But also there was nothing, there's literally no evidence to tie him to the case. There wasn't a reason for him to be there. Like he wasn't called to court. He just wasn't there. They're like, they're like, it was Speedy. And they're like, oh, okay, calm down. (laughs) (laughs) It was President Clinton. Right. Basically, they just like randomly named a person. They're just like, who's somebody that's not in the courtroom? Wait, give me a name. (laughs) When Speedy, they showed Speedy's photo and Albright's photos to dozens of sex sex workers in the area. None of them recognized Speedy. Several recognized Albright. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, I don't know who this dude is, but I do know who this dude is. Right, right. (laughs) Prosecutors were ultimately forced to dismiss all charges against Albright for the Pratt and Peterson murders, so the first two. However, he was found guilty of the murder of Shirley Williams and was sentenced to life in prison. When his sentence was given, Dixie collapsed in the courtroom. She was just completely shocked. She still always said, like, he, he was innocent. He was with me. Albright was incarcerated at John Munford's psychiatric unit in Lubbock, Texas, and continued to maintain his innocence until he died on August 22nd, 2020 at the age of 87 so just last year you bitch ass bitch so he stayed in prison but always said that he was innocent he never he continued to maintain his innocence um there are some people that still argue today that though he was not a good man he was innocent of these crimes like they say that the killer had clearly been in the medical field due to the precise way they removed eyeballs but like he studied taxidermy from a young age that's a skill you learn because you don't want to cut the face all up you want the finished product to look like real and lifelike i'm just i'm just sitting here thinking did they keep any of the like the hair follicles i have no idea i didn't see anything about that even i know that it'd still probably be difficult but especially because hair follicles are still hard to even test to today right yeah they have to be pulled from the root um which i don't think is always I I can't say that's a completely accurate statement either, but it's easier to get what you're needing tested if it's pulled from the root. Um, but like some animal hairs are really similar to some. I feel um, like, so going back to the root of the hair, I feel like that's a thing I've heard because I've seen just recently, but also on other occasions, 
like just recently I saw somebody posted something online about um a niece or somebody was going to donate hair to locks of love but then was like well if somebody gets my hair and then they commit a crime later on is that going to come back on me and all these people were answering saying no because the hair was cut like you have to have the follicle you you do um for it to be tested completely accurately like dna wise otherwise it would it is tested like it's like similarities like the microscope right um this does this match this type because so the thing about and again you can't completely quote me on it because I'm still learning this process. She's like, I'm in school. I'm sorry. <laughs> I I am I am learning some of this stuff, but it's hard to determine looking at a hair, like this hair to this hair, to know that it came from the same specimen. Now, some hairs are really easy to tell. Like you can you can see a dog hair and be like, this hair, hair yeah. this dog hair. <laughs> to this hair, this human hair, you can tell the difference. Like it's coarser, right. can, um, like the follicles are thicker, like they're, they're different under a mi- microscope, all this stuff. But for you to test a human hair to know whether it is somebody's legit hair coming from their head, you would need like literally it pulled from the root and have a fault, like an actual follicle to test dna evidence off of it and it's real it's hard to do that right right and that's why um like hair evidence is so like circumstantial most of the time because it's not yeah definitely not 100 percent for sure but it's it's not not 100 percent. i mean a lot of a lot of forensic evidence is not completely 100 percent either oh yeah for sure I i was just curious i wondered if they ever kept any of those because it'd be interesting for them to try to test to try to test it now with how everything has like progressed and gotten so much more yeah Mm -hmm. so thunder do you hear it i do now (laughs) well if i get this episode out that means i didn't blow away tonight (laughs) like if i edit it and put it out um yeah so some people think oh it had to be a medical person to that i argue taxidermist i i argue that too especially with his mother literally putting him into those like classes and stuff too right and then also it's a skill not everybody has that for sure especially most medical students because again why they got to take eyeball out like that's not a normal procedure like unless you are a certain specialty like a surgeon well not even a surgeon like like an eye surgeon (laughs) well yeah a specific surgeon or something but right it's kind of weird to think that or not weird I guess that's not a good word to say it's creepy too but that he used an exacto knife to do it right because out of everything like how long did that take okay okay unless the third victim was a copycat and that's that's where they got the whole exacto knife thing from yeah you just you don't know you, know, you don't know, you don't know. I am going to say that there was not another killing like this after he was arrested, like at all. So no it's more. like another Zodiac killer. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Some people think he's guilty. Some people think he's innocent. He did. He's dead now. He died last year. He spent the rest of his life in prison for so how many years was he actually in prison then? Because he got arrested in his forties. Um, no. So he got arrested. I didn't write down the year. He, I th- want to say he was in his 50s, like later 50s. Okay. Mid to late 50s. And then he died when he was 87. Oh, okay. So he spent like a good 30 something years. Yeah. Yeah. No probation this time, buddy. Like, no probation. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is that. Yeah. Okay. What, what do our listeners think? Do y'all think he's guilty? Do y'all think, think it was somebody else? I think he's guilty and I think he used a melon mall scooper. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I think he's guilty. You think he's guilty. So y'all guilty. can let us know. Give us your thoughts yeah, at sisters at gmail.com. You can email us. Yeah, tell us. Do it. Send it to us. Send, Send it. Us all the stuff. Follow all the stuff. You know. Yep. Follow our stuff. Seraholicsisters.com. Got the Instagram. Got this spacey space. Got the Gmail. <laughs> We got so many things. <laughs> I was going to say, that's it. That's not about the main thing. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go. 
inside of my house and out of my she shed and I hope I don't get blown away tonight in the tornado. <laughs> well, if I hear from you tomorrow, that's great. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, be careful. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, like if you don't, if you don't hear from me first thing in the morning, don't panic. Cause I like gotta go to work in the morning. So. <laughs> I mean, I'm still going to text you and make sure. Okay. But, but okay. Let's, let's be, let's be awkward. Let's, let's be, let's be, let's be. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>